This is Steve McLeod, and you are listening to Bootstrapped, the podcast for people running bootstrapped software companies. In episode 221, I take a break while my co-host Ed chats with Brian Sirakowski, the general manager of Bear Metrics. Brian stepped in to manage Bear Metrics after it was acquired a year or so ago from the founder. In this episode, Brian chats about the challenges of taking over a complicated business and his trajectory from SaaS founder himself to running someone else's business. Towards the end of the chat, Brian reveals how changing prices inadvertently gave him the chance to get valuable customer feedback. Brian, welcome to the show. Go into all the specifics of exactly what Barometrics is for those who don't know it, please, and introduce yourself. Absolutely. Ed, thanks so much for having me on the show. So yeah, I'm Brian Sirakowski. I'm the general manager of Barometrics. Barometrics is a tool that uh, will plug into your, to your payment provider and pull out all the stats that you might need to make good decisions around how to operate your business. So we do that through a couple of things. One, we, we hook directly into your payment provider. So instead of needing to pull like exports, we pull data in like quote unquote real time. It's not actually like streaming live, but uh, it updates more frequently than like once a week or something like that, um, or however frequently you might update a spreadsheet. And then we do a bunch of really cool stuff with providing you all the metrics. We have 26 different metrics around like MRR or lifetime value or user churn or revenue churn. I think the, the final cool thing that we do is that we let you go a little bit deeper uh, into each of those metrics. So one of the kind of key features we have is being able to segment your a- any of those metrics. So being able to say, so for example, with Bear Metrics, we have a Japan market expansion going on and uh, the Japanese market is very different. I don't know if this is everybody, but I always imagine a Japan kind of being in the future as far as technology goes. From the, a SaaS perspective, they're, they're actually not quite that. They're actually kind of behind us a little bit. So uh, it's really useful for me to be able to segment out all the activities happening in Japan versus what's happening in the US and the rest of the world. That's a small example of like how being able to segment your data out and you can get a more fine green view of what's going on with inside your business and make better decisions that way. So gotcha. that's basically bare metrics. So basically a complete financial dashboard for your business, I guess you would say. That's the um, idea. Yeah. I, I, my, my own business, we have been customers of bare metrics now for, I don't know, maybe five years or so. I, I use it heavily. I don't know about heavily. I do use it uh, quite a bit to, <laughs> to see how we're progressing. I wouldn't say I, I probably don't use all the features um, all that we don't have some of the, I, sometimes I feel like some of the features are designed for if your company has thousands of customers and tens of thousands of customers, or maybe it's like an e-commerce business with tens of thousands, individual transactions or something like that. So that leads to my first question is who is the ideal customer? Who, who are you building yeah. bare metrics? Because my impression is it, it started very much as a tool for kind of uh, bootstrappers or let's say smaller independent SaaS businesses. And now over time you've evolved and added all these new power features, which, which is a very normal trend. Everyone says start yeah. small and then go up market. What, what, what's the story there? Who, who are you guys yeah. targeting these days? For sure. Yeah. And our ideal customer profile is like something that's, I feel like we're always working on it. I guess I thought when I was earlier in my like entrepreneurial career, you pick an ideal customer and you just stick with that forever. And the more that we get into, especially with bare metrics, I feel like it's like a kind of common misstep to say this 
products for anybody that has subscriptions. And I think with bare metrics, that's probably the closest, uh, you know, to being true that that's ever been, but it's still important for us to narrow down and specify who our customers are. Yeah. You're totally right too, as far as there's been bare metrics has been around for eight or nine or 10 years now. So there's been like a lot of development, like in the space, like when you first, when we first started, it was bare metrics and Stripe really didn't tell you that much about your subscriptions. And now if you fast forward today, like Stripe gives you some pretty good metrics. If you just want to know like what your MRR is, or if you just want to know what these numbers are, Stripe does a pretty good job. Obviously, like we disagree with them in some cases as far as what should be counted as MRR and should what's counted as an active, this came up recently, what's an active customer? If you have a customer that has a subscription, but they're paying you $0, Stripe counts right. that as an active customer, but our definition of a customer is somebody who pays you. So we don't right, count right. them as an active customer. But if, if you just want to... um just know what these numbers are and check back on it periodically. There's a lot of solutions for that now. And even competing with Stripe is like really can be very challenging. And something actually I don't really want us to do is, is competing directly with Stripe because I, uh, I have a lot of respect for them. And uh, I, I can they're... imagine that's, that's a very difficult position to put yourself in. But, but just to be clear, you guys integrate way more than just Stripe, right? You have yep. many different payment partners. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. We, we connect with Apple and Google um, for app subscriptions and Chargebee and Shopify partners. If you're selling apps in the Shopify partners uh, marketplace. So yeah, we have are, that. Are, are most businesses integrating multiple payment providers or, or most businesses do only one or how, what's the... The majority are only doing one. There's certainly the case. It's like, um, there's a bunch of like common trends as like businesses grow larger. So one correlation is like the larger a business gets, the more likely they are to have different data sources that they're going to want to pull in from a revenue perspective. But the, I would say, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I, I would guess somewhere around like 80 to 85% of our customers just have one payment provider. We, we only have one payment provider, but what we have is we have many particularly larger customers who want to pay us via bank transfer because that, that's a yeah. very normal way to pay. So in terms of percentage of our customers, it, it's not massive, but in terms of percentage of our revenue, it is yeah. quite significant. And, and and thus it also is a very important to to get it correct in terms of how you calculate things. Uh, and your point about like, when is a customer active or not? There actually is, because when we first started, I did exactly what probably everyone does. So I'm like, we have a handful of customers. I'm like, okay, let me whip up my little Google spreadsheet and I'll just keep yeah. track of things. Totally. And very quickly, it becomes a nightmare because you have so many, like some are on monthly, some are annual. We do a couple of different currencies and it, it becomes unwieldy very quickly, particularly yeah, we, then if, if you give someone a discount or something, it's an yeah. absolute nightmare. Yeah. Whenever somebody, if I'm talking to them about the, this metric stuff and they're like, yeah, I think I'm just going to like, just going to build it myself. I always, because I know like when the backend bare metrics has like several hundred thousand lines of code. And obviously some of that, it goes to having multiple payment providers and things like that, but that's not really the majority of the complexity. That's really just like a data input. And once we get into our machinery, being able to process it and turn it into all those metrics and building the infrastructure to, to handle that data flowing through on a regular basis. So whenever somebody's like, yeah, I'll just do it myself. It's either they're putting themselves in it's like the position you were in of like, being in a spreadsheet and it's, I don't know, it's tough. Like when you're first starting out, you don't really have any money to invest into a platform. So you mm. spend your time, but your time's also super valuable too. And the action, like how actionable that data is really important. If you could, 
if somebody could make you a promise that like, if you give me all of your data, I promise I can show you a way to grow your business. Most people would say, yeah, sure. Mm. That's worth a few hundred dollars for me to take a flyer on that not being a total. But that's the position that we find ourselves in of can we, and that kind of goes back to your question about who's our ideal customer. That's really like the value that we're trying to provide is like providing like actionable insights. Because it's if you just want to know the numbers, you can get the numbers like a lot of different places. But we want to make it so that you can understand what's happening within your business or at least bring yourself close enough to build a hypothesis. But yeah. what size would you say a, a, a business <laughs> needs to be? Is it in, be it in terms of revenue or in terms of number of customers or number of transactions? Like at what point would you say yeah. it makes sense for a business to dive in? Yeah, it, it depends on like, when do you have enough data that segmenting it and looking at it and slicing and dicing it tells you something interesting. So that's different for every business. Um, like the business that I was running before I came to Metrics was a password manager and we had plans that were like seven bucks a month for businesses, yeah. which is actually entirely too cheap, too low. Yeah. <laughs> not, not enough for what we were providing. That was a mistake I made. But yeah, so we, we would, had something like 15K MRR, but that was like many hundreds of companies so that there was actually like something interesting to learn there. I don't know. I think at the extremes, it's easy to say if you have like fewer than 50 companies or hundred companies, it's just trying to guess like how likely is it that there's going to be like a really useful like segment of that customer base below 50 or hundred, it's possible, but I would say mm -hmm. that's probably not a huge likelihood. Once you start getting above a hundred or 200 or 300, again, it depends on the, how big those subscriptions are and how varied they are. I also found that companies that have a lot of different plans or add-ons, that's really useful for them to be able to like divide. Okay. Like you look at Stripe and it just shows you like, here's how much money you make every single month. But it might be useful to divide that of like, where is that money coming from? Which plan is growing the most? Those sorts of things. But yeah, bigger is better. Like the more data you have, the more likely it is that you're going to find like a valuable subset that you can take some sort of action on that's going to ultimately result in your business making more money. Give us a scale of, of uh, give us a sense of the scale of their metrics. Like how many transactions are you guys like yeah. aggregating? It must be pretty significant. Yeah, it's it's like double digit millions a day. Um, oh my god! One of the things that we've been focusing on is like offboarding customers from Barometrics. We had a kerfuffle a while ago at this point about asking people to contact us to cancel, and one of the drivers for that, even today after we've been spending about a year to fix it, we just did the math like a couple of weeks ago. We get about five million API requests from people who are not customers of ours between webhooks and API. Metrics has an API where you can send us enriching information on customers, or if you have right, information right. in your database, so you could say, has feature X turned on true or false? And then you can create a segment within Bear Metrics to see who's using that. Do, fe do customers with this feature churn more frequently or less? Okay, I wasn't yeah. even aware of that. Yeah. So we have, as a joke, like we have, we get 5 million API requests just from people who aren't customers. So hopefully that gives you an idea of the scale of like many millions of API requests. That Do you get a lot of support requests of people like freaking out? Like, why did my MRR go down? I like, like, why is it, yeah. it should be 0.37, not 0.38, you know, or <laughs> yeah. whatever. I mean. Yeah, we do for sure. And on one hand, it's a little bit easy to get frustrated by that because it's, dude, you've already, like, it's off by $12. Like, you've already spent $12 of, like, your founder time talking to us is worth more than twelve the $12 that we would need to materialize. Um, but on the other hand, like, something we're coming to appreciate more and more over time is that, like, accuracy is really, like, 
a key value of using a tool like us. Like you really need to, you need to have a lot of faith in bare metrics that were those hundreds of thousands of lines of code that I mentioned before are doing the right thing because again, and it's, we want you to be making business decisions based off what bare metrics. Right. So I think that's where some of those, one, I do think there's anxiety about your business. And it's like, I had one guy reach out and they were like doing like financial forecasting. So I need my MRR to be correct to know how much money that we have. And that's like another conversation of MRR is not the best metric to use to like MRR is not cash flow. Exactly. So it, can be very, it can be very misleading, especially if you have a lot of annual plans and things like that. They, totally. It can, it yeah. Can, and there's like the concept yeah. of like accounts receivable, like just because you could have a customer who <laughs> sure. was sure. supposed to pay, but didn't. And it's only been three days. So that might still count in your MRR, but you haven't collected that cash. And if, yeah. But anyway, yeah, we get the, we get that all the time where people are like having questions about the differences. And I view that as just like, it's just something we need to deal with. And that's like on us to show. And usually we will, we do, we call them account reviews internally. So we'll jump into an account review and compare what do they have in Stripe? What do they have in bare metrics and identify which customers are different. And we'll find stuff like, oh, this customer's on a three-year, 100% off coupon and Stripe is counting right. that as MRR, but we don't count that because it's you know, in three years when they pay you, we'll count it. But right now we won't or the active customer number things or there's, if a customer cancels, and they're canceling at the end of the month. They're right. active until so the end of the month. When do you count it as being yeah, live? We, or when do you we pull it out immediately because our definition MRR is, the, the R, one of the R's stands for recurring. Right. So that revenue is not going to recur. We know that because they've canceled. We'll generally get to an answer like that. It can be a little bit funny when somebody, and when it's literally like $12 or $13, something like that. Or even we have it, if even if it's a few hundred dollars, but their company's doing $200,000 a month or something like that. Um, sure. But we do that as, and we've actually built up our support team to be able to do that at a higher rate. So we're like leaning into that a little bit. I think it's our, it happens less and less. Once we have the conversation once, maybe twice, then people are, they usually get it. I think that kind of builds the trust with them that, oh, it's, it's not that bare metrics has missed something. Bare metrics has additional data or additional insight. And then they'll, I, I think, feel like usually people don't come back unless they have a very specific question. Right. Yeah. I can, it's probably the usual thing also. The more trivial and smaller the amount, the more passionate the person is about it. Totally. Yeah, you're 100% correct. Did you, we, we should talk a little bit about your history. Did you know this when you got into the business, this type of aspect of it? Or because you're new to Bear, not new, but yeah, I know you've been yeah. there over a year, but, and that's quite an interesting story in its own right, because the, the founder of Bear Metrics, um, Josh Pickford, he's yeah. a very outspoken guy and very active on Twitter for many years about the ups and downs of his journey with bare metrics. And then actually he was quite transparent of then when he sold the business, I, I guess mm -hmm. a year ago or a year and a half ago or whatever, I guess you, you came on board as part of the buying team. Is, is that right. correct? That's right. Yeah. I joined. So yeah, bare metrics was bought by a private equity fund called Xenon and they own I think 12 or 13 SaaS businesses currently. I think okay. they've had 50 or something over their many year life cycle of buying things. But yeah, so I came in with that. So I was in just a backup a, a little bit, not too far. Two positions ago, I started a SaaS business. It was the password manager that I was talking about. It's called Team Password. It's a password manager for teams. We built up enough customers. Where I'm like, okay, cool. I think I can go full time. And I had that idea of spending like tw 20 hours a week on this now. So if I go full time, I can spend 60 hours a week. I'll get three times as much stuff done and it'll move much faster. And it turned out that, that actually wasn't true. I did get more stuff done, but it wasn't a linear, <laughs> wasn't a linear distribution. Were you a bare metrics customer at that business? 
I wasn't. I was actually using one of the competitors. Um, I see. And it happened to be one that was free and one that I, you know, I don't know if this is still true, but one who I at least had a very good relationship with the founder. So I was very, I think that was like really like critical for me in my role here is like having, I think you can talk about going through starting a business and I, after running the business full time for four years, three or four or five years, something like that, like I got to that point where I just didn't know what to do. And the business mm. was growing, but slowly our churn was like fantastic. I just had no idea how to like get to the numbers that I wanted to. I, I would have to basically wait for three years to hit the revenue numbers that I was looking mm. for. So I think there's something about that experience that kind of got ingrained pretty deeply of like, now I'm in the position to help people understand like what levers they have and how they can grow their business and like how they can make use of the data that they have and the insight that they have to grow their business. So that was like hugely instructive to me of going from that experience of being a SaaS founder and hitting a wall, I guess, fortunate. I made the decision to sell it based off of no experience doing that sort of thing. And I was fortunate that I like, I basically for two months called in every favor that I'd ever done for anybody. And mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, I'm selling team password, looking for a buyer. Here's like a you know, oh, right. So you actively went out to sell it. Yeah, it was like, it was like, you know, January 1st and going through December. I'm like, all right, what am I doing with the business this year? And then I, it's one of those weird things like people tell you about, but I like resolved to sell the business. I'm like, I am selling team password this year. Like I'm wow. doing it. And it happened. It, the, wow. We closed March 1st. That, yeah, it was that, incredible. Very good. Yeah. So a lot of that was because the company that I, I wind up selling to was a company called Jungle Disc here in uh, South Texas, where I'm currently located because of said acquisition. Okay. And the person who runs Jungle Disk was formerly like in charge of M&A at Rackspace, which is a big, I don't know if people still know Rackspace, but it's like a very major hosting, hosting provider. Company. Yeah. yeah. So he's just had run through so many deals. It was like super easy. And we, in fact, I remember a, a funny call where it was like me and Brett, who's the, the CEO of Jungle Disk, we had our, each of our attorneys on and it was like him and I telling them, they're like, oh, this is really fast to close and we need to do this and do that. And Brett and I were like, no, like we're going to close March oh, 1st. <laughs> so it was like, usually it's me to my lawyer, to their lawyer, to him. And we're arguing that way. It was nice where it was like both of the CEOs telling the lawyers like, no, like we've already, we'd already signed like a deal memo. Like we'd agreed to all right. the terms. It's just like, make this, make this agreement that we have legal. And then we're both going to sign it. And then we're going to get done with that. It, it still took a couple of weeks, which is just, I think the nature of M&A, but that's like relatively fast in the grand scheme of things. And then what made you decide you wanted to to join Barometrics? Yeah, oddly enough, Jungle Disk sold my business, Team Password, to Xenon, the private yeah. equity firm I work for now. That was an interesting thing because I'd gone through the process of selling it and being seller side. And then I got to be on buyer side and I got to engage with the Xenon team. And that was about like, like two, two and a half years into being there. It was like an interesting time to reconnect with that. Xenon team who I actually pitched to buy team password and I just didn't, didn't go through. So I, I got to talk to their team and basically I was like the, the seller side representative and I got to work with their team and I'm like, oh wow, their team's like really like excited and they're just, just vicariously heard about what are all the things that Xenon's doing? What are you working on and what's the kind of goal and the kind of mission? So that kind of got me interested. And then I was just, keep me in mind if you need anything, because it was an interesting timing with removing team password from that business, I was focusing on their main product line, which was much larger. And it got to the point where it's like I'd been there for a couple of years and I was like, okay, cool. I feel like I've feel like I've accomplished my mission a little bit. So it was just almost serendipitous at that point where they're like, hey, we have an idea of a 
of a product that you might be a good fit to come on board with. And that's about that happened Bare to metrics. be Barometrics. But I didn't know that at the time. And what's, so what's different now that I guess day one, you come in, you learn how everything's working, you interact, talk with the customers and see what the actual problems are and where, but mm -hmm. I guess you're at the point now where it's time to, you know, start expanding the vision. What does the future hold for Barometrics? What's your, your vision here? It took me a pretty long time to like fully understand everything that was going on. One point of that, I do have to say, one thing I did find fascinating about Barometrics is uh, as I said, Josh was very open about all the things mm -hmm. they tried, and they really did try a lot of different things. And some of them I thought were very cool and innovative, but then for whatever yep. reason, they didn't work. And so he was very good at trying something and shutting it down. And so it feels like a lot of things have been tried already. So yeah. what's your... Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I think that's like huge hats off to Josh because like I'm on Twitter occasionally, and it's very easy to find people talking about running experiments or trying things or what works. I think much, much, much more rare for people to follow up and be like, ah, oh, this didn't work. And maybe right. here's why. I think that's one of the frustrating things when things don't work is that usually when something works, you know why it worked. Like right. you can draw, like it's like the, the space is much more finite. There's fewer variables and you'd be like, okay, cool, this worked. And I'm pretty sure this is why. Sometimes you don't know 100%. I feel like when something doesn't work, it's way harder to articulate why that is. Why. Yeah, you don't know if it's you executed badly or if the timing was just wrong or, or you're just unlucky. For yeah, the wrong, or... yeah, the wrong messaging, a bad landing page, right. wrong product. wrong. Yeah, it's, it could be any, you could swap out any variable along the way and retry it. And there's a theoretical possibility that could be successful. Yeah, so I feel like with bare metrics, a lot of it, in the start, it was just like me getting up the speed and me understanding. I think I, maybe everybody else underestimated like how much work the bare metrics product does and like our ability to like quickly shift from one idea to another. It's like a very large, well-built, well-engineered product. And there's a lot that, ha it's a, there's a lot of steps that the data needs to flow. Like I know the charts like look pretty and are simple and you go there and you view them and you can change it. But in order to get the raw data into coerced into that format, it's a lot that has to happen. So yep. I think there's a couple of different things that I'm interested in. I think the, the acquisition of Flight Path has been really cool. And I think that's definitely got my wheels turning. We've already integrated barometrics data into Flight Path. So if you're um, forecasting all of your expenses, you can bring barometrics data in and use your revenue model to forecast based off of that. One funny thing that we right. get is I'll talk to people on the flight path side and they're like, I'm like, okay, cool. Like how much revenue, like, what do you think your revenue growth rate is going to be? And they're like, ah, like 3%. And then I'll switch it over to be like, to show like the actual SaaS funnel of like new revenue expansion, downgrade churn reactivation. I'm like, okay, now on this chart, where does the 3% come from? And they're like, oh, okay. I didn't really think about that. So even right. getting to that level, if you're going to grow by 3%, there's like a lot of different ways you could do that. Like you could have 3% new customers, which I think is what a lot of people think. You could also have 3% expansion revenue, or you right, could have right, 1.5 right. new, 1.5 expansion, or you could have one new, one expansion and decreased churn by 1%. That will also, all these things will have the net effect of your revenue increasing by that amount. So that that's something that's really cool. And I think that a lot of, especially like at the earlier stage, it can be difficult for founders to commit to making like big investments because it's or like even hiring people, like that's the kind of scariest part of hiring somebody. It's like, how do I know if I hire them at this premium salary? How do I know that we're not going to run out of money or we're going to put ourselves into a dire straits? And I find that more time, more often than not, the resolution of that is that people just don't make that investment. The safer thing is to not 
make sure that I don't run out of money. So people will like not hire for really long periods of time or they won't invest in marketing. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And then you, I think that was a part of what happened to me of like, I was the only full-time employee at Team Password and I had a bunch of freelancers, but they are all working hourly or on a project base, even having one employee basically doing anything actually. Like they could have been a marketing, I think probably marketing would have been the smart hire to have, but somebody in sales or somebody in operations, because I was like building the product as well. So uh, a developer, would have been really smart, any of these things. So that's like an area that I'm really um, interested in. And, and I'm also curious around Shopify partners, like building apps in the Shopify ecosystem. It's like a, a new thing to be on our radar. We've integrated for a long time through a very, um, very wonky integration of like basically like screen scraping their account, like logging in as them and screen scraping their account. And in December, mm. November or December, we released a like an actual integration because they came out with an actual API. And that's a really interesting space because it's a different dynamic of what do Shopify businesses care about versus normal SaaS business. And I've also found that usually the Shopify businesses are like developer led. And maybe that's just because it's like a new, a new space and people fall backwards into building like very profitable businesses accidentally. Yeah. So that's like option B or like area B that I'm interested in exploring of what's going on with these different subscription-based platforms and how much can we educate them? Because a lot of Shopify partners don't like know what MRR is and like kind of right. some of these things yeah, we yeah. take for granted. So how much education can we do there and how much is like net new that we might need to do differently or treat differently in that space? So that's, those are the divergence of being more like full funnel through our flight path acquisition and then being like more horizontal through integrating with different platforms more, and like more. going like different spaces, different places that currently have no real good metrics solutions right now. Makes sense. Makes sense. I'm just cognizant of time here, Brian, but I do have a couple of other questions I want to sure. want to hit you with before you before we wrap. Specifically, as, as someone who came from a bootstrapping background, but also given that all this data from all these companies, most of our listeners are smaller, independent bootstrapping companies. So what's the main advice you have for them in terms of getting the, the understanding of our business. What are the mistakes people making again and again? Or, or what, what's the main tip you have there? If yeah. Any? Yeah, it's tough. And, and it is specific to the, the background of the founder of what they're likely doing. Because everybody has blind spots, right? If you're a developer and you're starting a business, your product's probably going to be pretty good. But maybe you have blind spots in the sales and marketing side. Somebody might be more customer focused and they might uh, invest a lot of their time and support, which I think is actually a really great idea at the early stages, but that might be at the expense of building the product or whatever they, right. whatever the, so you miss out on the other thing. I think there's probably a few things of that I can recommend that might be broadly applicable. The first one, I don't know how to say it in a way that doesn't sound like a cliche, but like talking with customers is really important and finding, finding ways to force those conversations because if you don't find a way to insert yourself into, especially at the early stage, like insert yourself into your customer's life, if your product's working great and it's like solving the problem for them, they have no reason to talk to you. They're going to like happily pay the invoice every single month. And yeah. um, the only, only people you're going to talk to are the ones that are frustrated or where it's not a great fit. Figuring out constructive ways, like when we on the private equity side, on the Xenon side, like we have, I don't remember off the top of my head what the number is, but it's like when we buy a business, we like schedule calls with the top 50 customers or something like that. Oh, wow. Okay. And that's obviously extremely time consuming, but you learn more through that effort of, we, we started really like getting onto like the success bandwagon above and beyond the support of being a support organization. So making sure no customer's gone more than 90 days without at least hearing from us and checking in. And if we can say something actionable, hey, like we noticed you 
you don't have any custom dashboards set up. And we thought that you have three different plans. Maybe it would be cool for you to have a dashboard for each plan or whatever. Okay. Having just some, something outbound to spur a conversation. I think that's really important. I think, it, I don't know. I, as I'm thinking through in my head, a lot of this stuff is just like common like tropey advice. Like I was thinking like, yeah, you're probably not charging enough or you <laughs> need to find more ways to make more money finding upsells or if you only have one plan, like you could definitely have two. And if you have two, you should probably have three. Uh, and you can even make the third plan could be right. like $19 a month, $49 a month or $9.99 a month. And then people will be like, oh, there's only one extra feature in $9.99. This $49 a month plan is like a great deal. And if you only had $29 before or $19 before. So I think that pricing is something that's very important. And um, you know, we're doing, we're always doing price experiments and working through our prices and dealing with legacy prices with bare metrics. I think that it's, you always think that the conversation is going to be worse than it actually is. It's another, it's actually a really funny way to, if you change prices on customers, you have a ton of conversations. And so that's, if yes, you're looking that's quite people, true, but not always the most fun conversations. Yeah. It, they're like, they're stressful. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people don't do it. They definitely like generate a bunch of anxiety, but I think at least from my experience, they're like not as bad as you would think. I think a lot of people are very understanding. And like the common thing that I would hear back if I'm changing somebody's price or we were giving a lot of our add-ons away for free. Like one of the first things we did is, hey, like we have this recover add-on that just does like dunning for you. It like yeah. puts money back into your bank account. And we were giving it away to free for a lot of people. I'm like, hey, you've made $400,000 off of this thing and we're not giving away for free anymore. And we're going to charge you like, hundred bucks a month for it or whatever. Yeah. And the people you would, would be upset with that sort of stuff. But I don't know, people I think are generally reasonable and you can talk to them. And if they reach out and there's, I don't want to give too many specifics, but I had one customer reach out in that scenario and they're like, oh, like our business doesn't behave like most SaaS businesses, 85% gross margin business. Like our gross margin is more like 25% for <laughs> a reason that made sense for their business. And so able, being able to talk through that, I'm like, okay, cool. Let's figure out how do we make this work for you? And I appreciate that. And yes, like our, for selling to SaaS businesses, our entire like billing pricing mentality is built around an 85% gross margin business. Yeah, I don't know. I think the conversations are generally, usually they can be a little bit heated, but you get good feedback. And if you change somebody's price, you're going to get extremely direct feedback of this is what's working for me. This is what's broken. And this is what you need to do about it. Like instead of sending out an email, be like, hey, Parametrics values your feedback. I'm not saying that this is something to do instead of eliciting right, right. feedback, but it's like a unexpected to me, a very like a very strange side effect of you have a bunch of conversations and most of them are like, we're all just trying to run our businesses here. People get it. I've received more feedback in changing people's prices than probably like, it's probably like equal distribution between that and just like asking for feedback and trying to elicit feedback from, it's not as, it's not as bad as you might think. Although it is, I do have to admit, it's very stressful and very uh, anxiety inducing, which I imagine why a lot of people might shy away from that. Fair enough. Let's, let's wrap it up there though. In the interest of full disclosure, I guess we should say that this conversation actually came about because you sent me an email trying to raise my price. So, case, case in point. So a case you want to get on people's podcasts, right. so, raise their price. Yep. Right. I do appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast and chat with us. If, if the conversation has raised questions for people, how can they best get in touch with you? Sure. Um, you can always email me directly. It's just brian at barometrics.com. Always happy to chat with people. We have the Bear Metrics team on standby too. If you want to talk to me specifically, that's great. If you want to talk to somebody else, you can just reach out to either our support channel or just, we have live chat everywhere, obviously. So yeah, we're always happy to talk to people. And if anybody feels like they're 
specifically if you're in that position that I was in, okay, I have this business, it's doing well, but it's going sideways and I don't know what to do about it. I'm always happy to have those conversations and take a look through and I'm trying to help you over the hump to figure out what you need to do to either grow it to the next level, or if you think that selling it's the right, if you want to follow uh, exactly in my footsteps, I'm happy to talk people through that too, of like how the best way to find a buyer and those sorts of things. Very good. Thanks very much, Fred. Of course, my pleasure. Bye.